Hello and welcome to episode 133 of the Good Good Golf Podcast, Rod Murray guiding proceedings as we reflect on some disappointing news from last week, but look ahead to potentially better times. What am I talking about? Well, it was announced in recent days that golf's application to become part of the 2028 Paralympics in Los Angeles had been unsuccessful. Crushing news for a core of campaigners who've been working tirelessly to raise the profile and acceptance of golfers with disability at all levels of the game. One of, and some might say the leader of that core group, is Golf Australia's own senior manager, here's a title, of Programs and Inclusion, Christian Hamilton. And he'll join us in just a moment to rage about the injustice of the decision. No, he won't. Christian is incapable of raging, but he will walk us through <laughs> what happened and the reason for that decision and what it means. But first, my co-host, starting with Adrian Logue. Logue, this is a very on-brand topic for good good. I, I guess it is. We've mentioned Christian enough <laughs> in recent podcasts that we should get him on, we have. the man himself. We actually had him on, I guess it was the iSeek Golf Podcast era. I reckon it would have been. Yeah. Was that out at the Australian Open at the yeah. lakes in that noisy tent with the thing yeah. flapping around there? Yeah. And that was a good episode and most enjoyable. Uh, I think it might have been the first year the All Abilities played I think in right. the open field right. on a Sunday as well. So welcome returns. Yes, welcome return. Also in this show, we've also had him on the Thing About Golf podcast. Anybody who wants to know Christian's background, go and have a listen to that. It's fantastic stuff. He really is one of the good guys. Also in the studio, Golf Australia Magazine Deputy Editor and Manager of Digital Content, Jimmy Emanuel. I was thinking about this, Jimmy. Your time in the golf media probably... Almost parallels the rise of all abilities golf in professional golf? Uh, a little bit earlier, but pretty mm. close. Yeah. 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 It's certainly much more familiar to you than to those of us who started some time ago. Yeah, I would that's say so. Compared what, to you, yes, it's much more in line we, with my timing, yes. As we like to say. Finally, to the man of the moment, Christian Hamilton himself. To those who don't know Christian, by the time we're done with him today, you'll understand why he is known as genuinely one of the game's good guys. In fact, he's one of humanity's good guys, and he does it all with an infuriating grace. His nickname should be, and his hair was perfect, because it's about the only thing that maybe isn't. Christian, good of you to join us, mate. Thanks, guys. Wow, what an intro. Thank yeah, you. what an intro. Well, listen, one day I'm going to interview your wife so that we can find <laughs> out all of your imperfections, because I'm sure she's got them catalogued, and it'd be nice to know what they are. There's plenty of them. Yes, uh, no doubt at the home front there exactly is. Exactly what? Exactly. That is exactly. And can I just exactly what a humble person? Before we get too into it, as the rest of the golf industry, we don't need anyone's help making ourselves look bad. No, that's right. And then you've got someone like Hamo who just does it for fun, seemingly. So can maybe we we blame what we're talking about this week on Hamo a little bit to bring him down a little bit? Yeah, Yeah, no question. He's he's led led the charge. He's he's faulted at the final hurdle. That's right. What are we talking about, Hamo? Why are we India here? Paralympics. What happened with the Paralympics? Give us a bit of background. I want to talk some of the positive stuff in All Abilities Golf, but but this was not a great moment for uh, what you've been campaigning for for a long time. So what happened and what seems to be the problem with Paralympics in golf, which seemed to the outsider like a perfect fit? Yeah, that's right. Um, Look, so the process, all sports, all 22 sports uh, have to go through the same process of applying for each uh, Paralympic Games, the, obviously the opportunity comes around every four years. Um, it was really disappointing that we missed in Paris for 2024, and I suppose a lot of the feedback that we got, um, we worked hard in the, the over the last four years to address all those things. So things like uh, you know the world ranking. I think we only had about 1,100 athletes on the ranking. We're up over three and a half thousand now. Um, the worldwide reach component of the application. Um, we're probably a little bit short in, you know, as an example, some of the African countries as far as participation. We've worked really hard on um, 
engaging. The likes of South Africa are really uh, are really active, but some of the smaller countries as well, like Kenya, are really active now. Tanzania, um, Namibia, um, Uganda, those sort of emerging sort of countries we've been working closely with, and then through the Middle East, Europe. Obviously, the United States and South America is very active. Um, and then I, I suppose it's not just about golf either. We we sort of said to the uh, to the IPC that golf is a brilliant vehicle for to really move the needle and and, and push that Paralympic movement, the, the message of the Paralympic movement around inclusive sport. Um, you know, we've played in over two hundred countries, over thirty eight thousand facilities worldwide, and um, yeah, golf using golf's ecosystem to actually expand or push the Paralympic movement was a big part of our application, which, so, yeah, it was incredibly disappointing to uh, to get the news last week, um, which was part of a six-month process of application in um, going through various hurdles to a point of, uh, yeah, last week where we got the unfortunate news. You very quickly get into this whole administration thing, don't you, Christian? It quickly becomes nothing to do with golf. <laughs> and it's all about being in this, and I imagine an Olympic bid is the same kind of thing. You very quickly get lost in paperwork and monitors, that sort of thing. Who does the organising? Who drives that? Who says, right, golf is going to do this? And who is golf in that instance? We know you've yeah. been at the forefront here in Australia and internationally since you got almost accidentally involved in all abilities golf all those years ago. How does that happen? Who is it? that is driving that uh, and is there enough support from official administrative bodies around the world, the USGA, Golf Australia, the RNA, are they involved yeah. enough? What, how does that all work behind the scenes? Yeah, so the International Golf Federation or the IGF, they, they're they seen as the uh, global sort of governing body for golf through the eyes of the uh, International Olympic Committee and also the Paralympic Committee. So um, the, the IGF actually put the application into the uh, International Paralympic Committee. Um, so there's a small core group of people that were part of that working group. Um, I was on that. We had representatives from the USGA Um and uh, obviously, Edgar are pretty heavily involved. You know, they, they do most of the development work around the country with the with the membership of 30, 36 national federations that uh, that Edgar works with. So, Ed, Edgar yeah, being the European Disabled Golfers Association, yeah. not yes, not some it. bloke. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly yeah. right. Um, yeah. yeah, so small small group of people. Um, the IGF is supported by a small group of staff as well. Um, that, uh, that help put everything together. Um, as I said, the application goes in with all the other sports uh, back in July last year. Um, and then, yeah, there, there's certain milestones that we we had to get to um, uh, where they eliminate sports based on um, where they actually meet their their code. Um, so that can be all that can be things from everything from worldwide reach to. Um, uh, to making sure that uh, everything from uh, integrity sort of framework uh, uh, is all in place from a you know anti-doping mm. you know all those sort of real technical sort of things so um, yeah but to get to the uh, to get to the last post we we did the same thing in Paris we got to the very end um, but uh, yeah it's just unfortunate I know they can't take every sport through and I think it's a it's it's a bit of a mis conception that people have that they think because we're an Olympic sport 
it's a rite of passage. There's only about half the amount of mm. um, sports that get into the Paralympic Games, uh, yeah, opposed to the um, to the Olympic program. Is that a positive that you've got to the last post twice in a row? It's clearly a negative that you haven't got across the line, but surely it must say that golf is close. There, there can't be much left to do to get that final step, or am I misreading that? No, no, you'd be right in saying that. And I think as well, um, I think we have to really call out the fact that, and, and look, we see these trends across global golf, but just around women's participation, um, if I had to be critical, Oh, finally, the ranking, finally, the, the good stuff. The ranking, yeah, the the, the ranking, the, the ranking doesn't really show a really great story. I've got to be honest. There's not enough women that participate in this space. Um, we've got two, you know, we've got two women that are playing in the Vic Inclusive Championship this week. We've got 50 participants. It's just not, hmm. it's not good enough. We have to put a stake in the ground at some stage and say, you know, we've got to do, we've got to do better. We've got to do more. Um, so yeah, so it's uh, that's on you. It gives us that- it gives us time to think. Yeah, no, <laughs> that, it's it's yeah. it's uh, yeah, it's it's something that we need to address. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll talk perhaps a bit later about how you might go yeah, about that. There's some, there's some some interesting sort of a- Why? What was the knockback? What did the text say when the Paralympic movement broke up with you as Colin? <laughs> what were the reasons? Well, it, it's, it's not funny. you. We, it's we, them. It's what's the <laughs> we basically find out. Uh, at the same time that everyone else did, the uh, the media release went out. It was very late Wednesday night last week. Um, we found out about an hour before that media release was going out. Um, so we had a couple of uh, statements prepared. Um, do they give the, reasons? Uh, do they give reasons as to why you haven't? Not as, or, or not do they as just yet. say you're not in? Yeah, the IGF will pick up those discussions over the next week or so. Um, I'd imagine, but um, just to get some feedback. Um, feedback on the application. But what's interesting is they haven't changed the program since 2016. So you're going to see 2020, 24 and 28 with the same sports. Um, so, yeah, I look, that's their, that's their decision. But, um, but yeah, we felt like we could – obviously it's not just about us, it's about what we can do for them. And I think, you know, with such a, a, a massively global game that golf is and its ecosystem – we, we were really keen to, um, to to demonstrate value on their side as well. We just came coming back to this, don't we, Low golf's issues beyond golf's own borders, its image outside of the game, and you'd have to assume that, once again, golf hasn't told its story well enough outside the game to make some of the things that we all, we, all of us who play the game understand the inherent good of golf, but nobody from outside the game seems to, and we just don't seem to make any headway on that. And you'd have to think that's part of this decision too. Well, it seems odd that the International Olympic Committee has accepted golf for able-bodied sports people. When Tiger was at the top of the game. Well, let's yeah. let's not pretend that that decision was about anything but getting the single most famous athlete in the world at the time yeah. as part of their product. Yeah, and even then, it, I guess you know it wasn't Sorry. introduced in the most imaginative way to the Olympics, was it? That's beautifully diplomatically. <laughs> there was a little bit of disappointment in the format, and I think it struggled to really take hold as part of the Olympic movement. It's going to have its supporters, and I think we talked about how much Rory, like Rory didn't go to the first one, but really enjoyed the experience on the second one. Of course he enjoyed the experience. Yeah, he was at the Olympics. <laughs> like he was like, it, it would have had yeah. a great time. Yeah. Um, but uh, that doesn't mean the format's right. Like it still, I, I think it still needs tweaking and maybe that's golf hasn't sold it properly 
Don't um, you think that maybe that's a knock-on effect of that? Well, I think it's kind of the same problem that golf's got more broadly. I think at the Olympic level, even people watching the Olympics, they think about golf as, oh, it's one of the exclusive sports. It's a bit like tennis. The Olympics really is about, I think, for people who aren't general sports fans, it's about the running and the swimming. Mm-hmm. There's a few of those French ones, the diving that you take an interest in and become an expert for yeah. a week. It's all that sort of stuff. There's but I don't sense. think golf doesn't fit into that because golf's a part of the narrative week in and week out for the rest of the four years. The, the athletics and the swimming, apart from a very hardcore opinion, and the is not. Greco Roman wrestling. Of course. And the Logue, shot put, Logue's discus. Big, big sailing guy when it comes to the Olympics. <laughs> Huge. Um, but well, funny, because sailing's one of the few sports where it's. Um, <laughs> yeah, see, I know. There's, you know, <laughs> complete gender equality in Olympic sailing. Yeah. And uh, golf also has that opportunity. But it, it's Hammer, one of the few sports where you can have that. And Hammer is. Is part of the issue, I remember talking to, I think it's Tony Bennett from Edgar about this Paralympic stuff a couple of years ago about that in all abilities golf, we don't classify players by different, uh, I'm not sure what the wording would be, but the way in there's categories in the Paralympics. Is that one of the issues we have? Yes, it is. And it, and it took them, it made them think very different, differently about our sport. Um Paralympics are used to putting people in in little boxes, as you said, Jimmy. You know, there's all these different uh, sports classes within within, say, swimming or whatever it might be. Um, they're also used to dealing with the para um, governing body of that sport. So, you know, you look at you know basketball, and then you've got wheelchair basketball. There's it's segregated where you know we don't we don't do that. So through the application. Um, you know, it talked about, uh, you know, how many registered athletes that you do have. Now, that's we, – we, I, I said at the start of the intro that we have over 3,000 players now that have a, a ranking pass. But we know that's only a minute percentage of people that actually play golf with disability um, where you look at these other segregated sports, like the number is the number yeah. that are registered in that sport. So, um, you know, and then – it's not only the pass holders, but you look at registered players. And when I say registered players, I mean all those people that have golf league handicaps that have disability that just play in clubs and facilities. And then you've got casual players that, that just play our sport. And that's the 80%. You know, we, we know that that makes up about 80% of all, all participation of people without handicaps. So for the IPC to sort of get an understanding of what our true participation is, they had to, they also got to think a bit differently. Mm. Is it is it time? Do we need a para federation for golf? Is that the right model going forward so that we can do the basketball thing and all those other sports that you just mentioned? Yeah, golf doesn't need any more. F- no, it doesn't. <laughs> it seems like it's fragmentation. Yeah, very glad like to hear you look say. At, that. Look at you. Yeah, going for <laughs> yeah. more organisation. No, no, no. I was only asking. Do I, do I need to get the USB standards chart out? No, again? you don't. Here's, <laughs> here's the issue, though. Is what I, the point I was trying to make to Hamo very early on. Very quickly, this becomes nothing to do with the sport itself. There's a yeah. bunch of dry paperwork and box ticking that needs to happen to get in. The IPC have their rules, and you fit into them, or you don't get in. And that's one of the problems that golf's encountering that Hamo's just laid out. So do you try to fit into the box or do you try to get them to change the parameters of the box? The second is probably harder, but I think it's probably a better way forward. Yeah, I, I, th- I think that we have to play to our strengths and we have to recognise that we don't want to we don't want to necessarily change who we are on the basis of one event every four years. Um, for me... The important stuff is already happening as far as like you look at the announcement a couple of days later with the RNA. There's an RNA 
the G4D Open. So that's an open championship for golfers with disability that we run by the RNA. Um, we will have a, a an IGF Run World Championship um, hopefully towards the end of this year. Um, you know, the ranking, it's not administered by Edgar anymore. It's administered by World Amateur Golf Ranking. So we just have to concentrate on the things that we have control over, you know, in the, in the, in the medium to long term. And, you know, the opportunity will come around again for Brisbane. Um, no doubt. So we go again, but at the same time, we concentrate on the things that we can control and uh, work with, yeah, work within our own systems to, to advance this space as well. In a funny way, Brisbane would be kind of fitting, wouldn't it, Jimmy? Because Australia's really been at the forefront of this because of Christian. Absolutely. Forefront of all abilities golf. There'd be something quite pretty embarrassing for Christian <laughs> if he doesn't get breath. That's exactly right. That will be a triple bogey from the middle of the fairway. We might have we might have finally worn Hamo down with our <laughs> opposite sort of That's feelings right. by Brisbane. But a hundred percent. I mean I, I remember the the Australian Open you're talking about where there was the first all abilities element on the weekend and then since then, you know, adding to Vic Open last year where it was the first, I think, wheelchair and inclusive uh, yeah. time that was played. Uh, we've had President's Cups, uh, World Cup, I think, as well. You know, it's – and every time those elements are added, you can tell the interest that comes from overseas because it's a it's a leading sort of thing. It's, it's, a, it's appropriate that Vic Open's mentioned there because similarly – Australia is doing something Absolutely. that gets attention from overseas and um, and then it becomes kind of normal place. So it would be fitting that you know, there's a bit of a reward for golf here that it it's the place where it happens. Yeah. Yeah. I'll go back to a point I made last week. In many ways, Australia's leading in terms of innovation in golf. The TPS is innovative. I don't Absolutely. see anything innovative in the rest of world golf anywhere, and that includes live. There's nothing innovative about what they're doing, but the TPS is innovative, so it would be good to see uh, Paralympics get up at it. Uh, uh, Liv has now got a team called the Range Goats, so let's not let's not say that's not innovative. That's pretty innovative. <laughs> uh, speaking of innovative, uh, our sponsor for innovative. this week. Oh, here we go. <laughs> Hamo, do you need some outfits for the Australian team should they make the Paralympics? I certainly do. Excellent. Well, have yeah, a listen right. to this pitch. Load. Well, you could go to our sponsor of this week, Angus and Grace Go Golfing, uh, which is a boutique golf clothing company based in Paddington, Sydney. And uh, they create some very fine garments, which uh, Jimmy isn't wearing at the moment. That's uh, the hell is wrong. It's with not you? like you. Oh, it's a very casual day for me. I've got to run back home, so I'm not golfed up. But I do regularly wear Angus and Grace go golfing clothes, uh, particularly the Good Earth cotton polos that are a new uh, material that is actually very good for the environment as well as being very good for golfers. So comfortable, looks good, everything like that. And 2% of all the sales from Angus and Grace Go Golfing actually go to Wires as well. So he cares about animals because the business is named after owner Matt Burns' dogs, Angus and Grace. Mm. They're the titular dogs. They are the titular <laughs> dogs. That's, that's You're big on this titular correct. thing, aren't you? Why has it grabbed your attention in the last sort of couple of months? Titular. I, I just I'm big on it. look for every opportunity to use it. Yeah, indeed. And actually... The biggest shout-out I can give to Angus and Grace Go Golfing is to actually make Logue look good. Ooh. Ooh. If you want to look like me, then where <laughs> would you go? Like Adrian Logue, go you see, go to go angusandgracegogolfing.com or on Instagram, angusandgracegogolfing. Or getmentalhealthhelp.com might be the other option <laughs> if, you wanted to, uh, if you wanted to start looking like Logue. Because I'm really interested in that. I want, to, I want you to do some research on that whole cotton thing, Jimmy, and give us a little Because I think that's actually really interesting. And it's very 2023. It is. There's a whole generation of people who are going to think that's an important buying decision. There's a whole generation of us who never grew up with that, but there's a whole generation coming who won't buy stuff unless, unless it's trustable. Yeah, that's, that's, that's exactly it. right. It's got to be certified, it's got to be trustable, and it's got to be uh, on the Yeah, that's a big focus of the Australian-made as well, Australian-owned-made. 
Yeah, fantastic. Well done to uh, Angus and Grace Go Golfing. It's a bit of a mouthful, the name, isn't it? The Go Golfing on the end, Angus and Grace is good. Yeah. I think it's uh, what you would call an opinionated design. Which, which really suits the uh, owner, Matt Burns. Yeah, very, <laughs> very opinionated design. I like it. It's quirky. Yeah. Okay. Good stuff. Um, and mate, tell us more about the G4D Open. How is that going to work? Is it going to be in conjunction with the Open? I, of course, haven't read the press release that came out last week because I was busy doing other podcast stuff, but I knew you were coming on this week so I could get all my info from you. Share with the listeners what that's about. Yeah, so the RNA, it'll be their first uh, – it's essentially an extension of the Open brand, which is fantastic, you know, um, that they're that they're getting involved here, running a a, a, a truly sort of global event. Um, the, as far as the actual eligibility criteria, we're just waiting to see how many exemptions we get. We're very hopeful that the leading male and female uh, Australian will will get a start. But also looking at the field size, will be um, around about eighty, I think eighty four players or something like that. Um, we should. If we if we base that on the ranking, we should get another four or four four or five players that that qualify um, for for that championship. So it's an indi- it'll be an individual it'll be an individual Straight championship event. Where and when is it going to follow the Open, and will the rotor of courses be the same? Uh, no, it's actually in Woburn in May, so it's coming. Up, it'll come up very very quickly. Um, don't ask me about the timelines. I think <laughs> no, 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 the no, national. No. The national federations to get players organised and get them over to uh, get them over to that's, the UK in May yeah. is is very difficult. But um, we're not going to balk at the opportunity. We're already sort of talking internally about how we can uh, help athletes get across to um, to what will be a quite a, a historic event. We've also um, with that. Um, all of us at Golf Administrator Nerds will be over there um, as well. We've got a two-day symposium that um, we're going to uh, invite all national federations across to have a, a two-day workshop on, um, yeah, how to how to build this space um, in their own federations or if they want help. Um, there'll be some great, great presenters and, and great discussions. Get a microphone in that room. There's some the content. Days. There'll be some content there that will be of interest. Hamo, uh, I wanted to ask you this. These are always impossible questions to answer. I think it was about 15 years ago, maybe a bit more, that you sort of accidentally fell into this golfers with disability space. Melissa Noonan from the organisation whose name now escapes me came to see you. Limbs for Limbs for life. I think Melissa has was missing the bottom half of one of her legs. Yes. Wanted wanted to get into golf, wanted to get some others into golf and came to you. You were the head pro, I think, at Sandhurst at the time and said, can you teach us to play? And here we are now. Go back to that. You can fill us in a bit more on the story. Go back to that moment. Could you have imagined then where this journey has ended down, not just for you, but for golfers with disability? It's really quite extraordinary when you think about it in those terms, I think. Yeah, it, it, it's not something I often think about. But, um, but yeah, it was uh, – so Stuart Leong, another PJ member at, at, who's at Metropolitan these days, um, I think most of the uh, – most golfers know Stewie. Um, and Angus and Grace go golfing ambassador. I should- <laughs> oh, right? there you go. He's, well, he's a sharp – I'm not surprised because he's a really sharp-looking guy. He dresses really well and um, that does not surprise me. Hamo just bit. accidentally perfectly – That was that, that was does, outstanding. Does the Very well done. Do you know what, Hamo? There <laughs> could be some, a shirt coming your way after that. That was well done. <laughs> Thank you. I'll send you my address after, the, uh, after we finish. But um, – but yeah, look, I, I was sort of struck by we we did a come and try, and I was a bit struck by the the conversations that sort of happen around the table after the clinic. Like golf was just this vehicle to bring these people together, and 
listening to to people talk about you know some press prosthetic issues they may have had or it might have been someone new that's just experienced limb loss and you know not really knowing what support was out there it was just sort of evident that golf is just this amazing vehicle to actually bring this community together and we sort of after that just said Let, let's just keep doing this and then yeah as i said it just sort of expanded out from there and then there was we sort of identified some real knowledge gaps within the PGA as far as curriculum for, you know, trainee professionals, but also PGA professionals as well around inclusive coaching, what that looks like, um, doing a bit more sort of deep dive on different disability groups. And um, so then we started to, you know, I suppose, focus on workforce around the country. And we've got over 240 coaches now that have done that PGA All Abilities Coach Accreditation. And that's quite unique as a sport. We can we can tell anyone with disability if they want to get into sport, um, you know, that we have this professional network of coaches with this industry industry recognised accreditation. So, um, yeah, it's it's a great, uh, yeah, it's yeah, it, it sets us apart from other sports, I think, in that in that space as well. And then, you know, my time at GA, it's just been about developing that pathway so you know using our two national programs my golf getting to golf is that sort of participation sort of program vehicle and then you know you've seen what we've done in the event space it's just about integrating these sort of championships within our state opens and state amateurs where we can and if we don't have capacity to do that the pga of australia have been brilliant we've got three uh sorry the wa open wa pga um the tps series which i, I suppose we'll talk about in a little bit more detail in a sec but um yeah, and then, you know, the Vic Open, Tassie Open, those PGA PGA events that, that are integrated, uh, we get yeah, great support from Gavin and the team at the PGA um, as well. So, When did that happen, Hammer? I remember talking to Cathy and Bob Shearer. Bob said that we lost uh, last year, but we interviewed them for the thing about golf, and Bob said there was a moment in there somewhere where he stopped being Bob Shearer and started being Cathy's husband. There was a shift in the industry with what had happened there. When did it go from you knocking on the door and saying, can we be a part of, to the PGA saying, right, we're organising this series. Christian, what are we going to do for the All Abilities? Has that happened yet? And was there a moment when that happened that you can recall? Yeah, early days we were sort of, I suppose, just given the opportunity to use some of these people. Like if I go back to the WA Open or the WA PGA, it was sort of like we've given the opportunity to invite some players in. Christian, you know, you tell us who, you know, who's going to play we sort of organise it, but we're using that as that sort of vehicle for us um, to run the event. Now, these days, um, yeah, the PGA staff basically look after everything for those particular events from scoring um, to entries to, yeah, everything down to, you know, prizes, trophies, etc. So th there's little that we have to actually touch. So I think it's a, it's a bit of a shift within their own organisation as well to sort of say, well, you know, we can do this. You know, it's not it's not too much extra for us to to integrate this and it's it's obviously a massive benefit um for them i think um as a product i think things like you know state governments and local governments they're looking for these sort of opportunities where they can bring professional events to their to their you know whether it's to their areas but to have that inclusive element to it um 
yeah, is really attractive to to local and state governments as well. well all sponsors, Christian, for all the correct yeah. for all the controversy and drama about the mixed Australian Opens, James Sutherland. The one thing he said to us on this podcast when he came on the week after to not be particularly happy with what we said the week before, the one thing he said that stood out to me was, "This is what sponsors want, and if that's what sponsors want, that's what you have to deliver." If you go out and try and sell the men's Australian Open to a sponsor, you have a lot less uh, positive feedback than if you go out and sell a mixed district. So golf needs to understand that what we might think is right and normal is not necessarily the case. That's a big point, isn't it? Christian touching on there. Golf is unique. I love to find the unique things about golf, and golf is unique in that. If you've just lost a limb and you wake up in hospital, golf is an option. Football isn't. Tennis is harder. Most other sports are much more different, but golf is a fairly easy option. It is unique in terms of a competitive sporting outlet. It is indeed. Yeah, I mean, we had uh, uh, James Gribble. Uh, Gribble on recently. It was, yeah, as soon as he regained some movement in one of his arms, he was, he was like, oh, I wonder if I could you know, some, somehow find a way to play golf. And uh, you can imagine uh, in a situation like that the, the opportunity to re- uh, reclaim some part of what your life was like prior would be, or even a new. I imagine many of your members are new to golf, are they not, Christian? It's kind of the. There's a lot of you can't anymore when something like that happens. Golf is one of the few you can's, is it not? Yeah, hundred percent. And I think uh, the the players are, are really keen to drive that as well. Like it's it's one thing for someone like me to say, yes, you can, you can, you know. Especially you. And, and We've already discussed how perfect <laughs> you are, my friend. The last thing I want to hear from you if I lost a limb is I can play golf like you. Yeah. Um, but you are a good golfer the, as well, aren't you? There's he's like, a PGA pe- I know, PGA. Yes. But you've, yes, let it, you've, let it, you've let it go, though. Like, you're not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not. That's right. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, to, to get that message from someone like Mike Rolls, who, you know, I'll call out as a massive advocate, and he does a lot of work behind the scenes for golf. Like, he's the president of Amputee Golf Victoria. But, you know, for him um, in his uh, his vol- volunteer role with Limbs for Life as a peer support coordinator, a peer support person as well, he goes into rehab hospitals and has those conversations. And, um, you know, to hear... To hear from someone who has had lived experience, and I think you know, having James, you know, you would have got this from the podcast the other week when you had James on. Um, for someone who has a, an absolutely life changing traumatic event take place in their life, um, to hear someone that has lived experience to say actually say it's all going to be okay, and there's there's you know there's options out there for you. Um, not only gives the discussion validity is around around uh, you know around sort of showing these opportunities that, that are out there, but um, I think from a um, yeah, it, it also it just brings a genuine sort of conversation to to um, to someone that's ex- experienced um, a, a life changing event. So you can't get that from a sports administrator or a, or a piece of marketing material for sure. Jimmy, is everybody on board with all abilities golf being part of the professional tournament scene, do you think? I hear from some people, oh, it's, you know, inconvenient and it it doesn't fit in with the, the why do we have to mess with our formats? How much of that do you think there is? And what are, we'll get some answers about that to Christian, but what's your take on how broadly accepted that is? We see it, the, dis- the disability golf, the all abilities golf is being treated a little bit differently on the TV 
at the Pro Trophy Centre, and I get it. It's an awkward thing, you know. You've been asked to suddenly introduce something you've never done before. But how's all that coming along, do you reckon, more broadly? I think on on the majority, it's definitely accepted and encouraged and welcomed that it, that it comes in there at things like the Australian Open and, and everything like that. But I'm sure, like in everything in golf, there's some people who would prefer things to stay the way they always have been. But that's simply not an option, like you mentioned with James. Um, yeah, golf In golf, people like to complain too. So when it comes to tournament golf, there's always someone who's not happy because someone's not making money that week or something's gone wrong that's made it hard for an administrator that week. And it's easier to pick at the things that are small and that change things from week to week. But as Hamo mentioned, with things like WA Open, WAPJ, TPS, this element to Australian golf tournaments is becoming part and parcel and it's not an issue. Um, you know, if you had a had a calm and collected conversation with any tour player, I'm sure, outside of the heat of the week of playing a tournament. <laughs> Don't ever talk to tour players no. during tournament week. If you, don't, if, you want, if you want a good quote, you do. But if you want their genuine opinion, you don't. No. But it, you wouldn't have a person have a problem with it. I'm sure there is people who think it could go without it, but there's people who think that about everything in golf. So, um, you know, my personal experience of – I remember at the Lakes uh, in 2018 for the Australian Open, and I ended up doing a story with Juan Postigo from Spain. What a golf swing. And I went out onto the range to talk to him and sort of see what was going on. He was hitting balls next to Brant Snedeker, who just stopped Mm. and just watched him hit balls. And he was fascinated by how good of a ball striker Juan was. And... Everyone on the range that week started to take a bit more notice and seeing these guys and looking at the players and asking them questions about how they do it. Pete Lonard, I remember playing a practice round with maybe one or, or someone else and, and fascinated by it. So I think on the whole, everyone's very encouraging of it. And perhaps, as always, there can be better ways to work it into the tournament so that there's maybe even just for the crowds that are out there following the Australian Open, there's a bit more of a noticeable this is part of the All Abilities event because you you can get disoriented walking around a golf tournament if you don't do it all the time and if you don't know who the players are and you don't know what the stats are with leaderboards aren't that readily available. So make it more obvious because as soon as, as soon as someone who's not much of a golf watcher but watches a little bit, watches the All Abilities players, understanding it's the All Abilities, the, the level of in, you know that they're impressed by well, what they see quality is of the players. through the roof. <laughs> yeah, um, and so that's probably, on the whole, the only thing that I see. But, um, you know, it's it's one of these things as well. From a coverage point of view, I think everyone involved in covering golf in Australia would like to do more. Mm-hmm. But when you go to an Australian Open that's now a men's and women's Australian Open, you've got to cover two separate events within Pretty one full event. Play, didn't it? Yeah. And you add an all abilities event in there. So there's another one. It's an open qualifying event. So you're worried about three people going it. The stacks on stacks when media teams are diminishing makes it difficult to give it enough airspace to give it something because it's something that people are interested in. I'm, I'm fascinated by it since, you know, I first saw, you know, the Australian Open all abilities. But, you know, that story with Juan really sent me onto it because, you know, people started asking me about it and thought, oh, I better get to know more of it. I've got an uncle who's an amputee who doesn't play golf but is fascinated by it. So he loves to talk about it and see it on the Australian Open coverage and everything like that. So I think finding ways that we can promote it better, whether that is somehow giving the tournament a bit more of its own life or something like that. It would be my feedback on it. But it's, um, yeah, on the whole, I think every single person 
who's worth listening to, <laughs> thinks it's a great part of Australian golf. Well, I think there's going to be a, a spectrum of reactions, isn't there? And on one end of the spectrum, there's going to be people who see it as what it is, an incredibly positive thing. Um, but then if you if you go all the way to the other end of the spectrum, at, at worst, it's something that is going to be a mild inconvenience. Yeah. <laughs> so if you're dead against it, at worst, it's going to be something that's a mild inconvenience to you. But it's something that makes a huge difference to the people who 100%, participate yeah. in it. And so... Uh, that's, that nets itself out very nicely in the positive way, I think so. I think there's there's such a reactionary thing that everyone now believes that, you know, I don't like it, so i got to tell everyone about it. There must be a lot of people like that. You know, Rod wrote a piece about the TPS events last week. We've both spoken about regularly how good those are and some of the feedback you see through social media complaints. It's not every week. Really? Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's not every week. So Reaction to my column? Yeah. Is that right? Yep. Where do I find that? Do I want to find that? All over the internet, basically. Maybe I don't want to. Uh, Indeed. Hammer, how are you going to be better for Jimmy and make him happier? Did these barriers – I imagine you've come up against these barriers. People would have said to you at various times, you don't belong. I imagine that's a regular conversation at Golf Australia. How are we going to make Jimmy happier? (laughs) That's right. Top to bottom in the building. Um, Yeah, have you had those conversations? Is that changing? What's your take on the broader acceptance of all abilities golf within and particularly at some of our bigger events? Yeah, probably two things there. I probably, first of all, just on the, uh, you, you raised something that James said just around co- uh, commercial partners and everything. We, we have to make sure we stay relevant as a sport. And I think, you know, if this is something that's really important to our partners and, and state governments and et cetera, that, that's, and, and we don't, as I keep saying, you know, we're very unique that we can actually share the stage. Mm. You know, we do that brilliantly, I think, with men, women and people with disability. We can share that national stage. So why shouldn't we take advantage of that? Um, sure, I think there's some still there's some issues with, you know, things like broadcast and, and you know, as Jimmy said, it's so busy, especially at the top, the, the pointy end of an event. Like I think Sunday, you know, essentially we had three three events finishing within the same hour. Um, and, you know, there's so much going on. So we have to sort of think about how um, we can present that better uh, to the punter out there that's watching it on TV. Have you got some um, thoughts on you that, get the story. Hamo? One thing that's been suggested to me more than once is that the All Abilities finish on a Saturday, then they've got the sort of stage to themselves on that afternoon rather than getting caught up, particularly at those mixed events where, you, as you say, you've got two trophies that are about to be handed out. That's hard enough as it is. Is yeah. that an option? Have you thought about that? What sorts of things can be done perhaps? Yeah, and I, I know there's so many different competing sort of interests. You know, we talk about field sizes and things like that as well going into the weekend. Um, so, so sort of straight away, things like the, the obvious ones to us is, you know, we didn't have a cut for the AAAC. We took all um, all 12 players through um, on, to, <coughs> excuse me, to the to the final round as an example. Um there's probably not, or I won't say probably. There's there's uh, there's scope there to actually introduce a cut. For example, we we don't think that you know if someone's forty shots off the lead or something like that that um, that that we necessarily need to uh, that we need to play all twelve players on that final day for the, for the players themselves too. Um, that's proper golf, isn't it? There's a cut. Correct. You, yeah, you make it or you 100%. don't. If you don't make it, play better next time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And you look bouncing other ideas around, like you know, finishing earlier on Sunday so that um, there's not so many sort of stories unfolding very late in the day. Um, 
yeah, as you said, a Saturday finish. Now, Saturday finish doesn't mean um, that we're discounting the AAAC or, you know, sort of uh, treating it any differently. It's just about the storytelling component and making sure that we give it what it actually deserves. And um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll look at we'll look at all those sort of options. So, yeah, that's an option starting Thursday, finishing Saturday. Um, you know, options starting Friday, keeping the same format, having a cut, finishing earlier, say on Sunday, mm-hmm. um, mid afternoon instead of instead of about sort of four o'clock, um, where you've got you know women and men's you know with that sort of hard TV deadline around five o'clock. Um, so yeah, so looking at all that, and I think I think it comes back down to to the storytelling and the actual broadcast side of things. It's it, and and you know to the point you raised before about just treating. Um, the all abilities component the same way with TPS. Um, the viewers wouldn't have wouldn't have known any different, but that's a flash presentation they do for TV at the very end, uh, where it's literally just a quick here's your trophy and, yeah, and off you go. go. Um, you know, I you know, and I was one of those uh, viewers on the on the Sunday watching from home and, and see that take place. But then, um, you know, there's the proper prize prize presentation ceremony on the 18th green so where you know that yeah. yeah and and the and you know cam pollard um had the opportunity to you know to thank um his sponsors and and thank the club and thank uh thank the pj and whoever else he wanted to thank um on the day so but we don't see that in the in the tv product so i think yeah there's still some work to be done there but um but it's just finding the balance of um, if, if, and it comes, I feel it just comes down to storytelling. It comes down to striking the right balance and, and getting, you know, there's enough TV coverage, I feel, over the four days. That you can tell the stories of the All Abilities players as well as all of the others, if you want correct, to. Correct, correct. And it's just about it's just about finding the format that, that supports that. I love the idea of an early Sunday finish simply because the winner of the All Abilities can then go into the booth and talk about the course and how it's playing as – those other two tournaments unfold, if that Love makes sense. Yeah. An hour in the booth, which gives you plenty of time for those stories. Now, not all the players will necessarily be comfortable with that, but if you want to compete and be a winner, get used to it. <laughs> yeah. That would be a great thing. And I think that, and that I can see TV would see the appeal of that. I think there's a lot of benefits and a lot of wins to that. You could be talking through, oh, well, this hole here, how did you go? Well, I made a double bogey because I hit it left over here and that's just dead. Whatever it might be. I can see Curtis, Curtis Barkley. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there's a real golf element. We had on our two well, yeah. Brent, Brendan Lawler does a bit of DP World Tour commentary and he's fantastic at it. He's so, so good at it. So that If you want to talk golf nerds, talk to your all ability. You, golf is their entire life for a lot of those people. <laughs> they think about so nothing great. else. They're all Glenn Chisholm's. Hello, hello to Curtis, if you're listening. Yes, hello to Curtis, exactly. Good yeah. second place. He will oh, be. Harsh. <laughs> harsh. Wow. If you didn't hear that interview, Hammer, go back and have a listen to Logue just strip all of Curtis Barkley's dignity away. Just with question after question. And when we had him on the podcast, I can't believe he stayed in the room. Might have got it in his head. I'm sorry, Curtis. I can't believe he stayed in the room. He should have. Uh, he should but have actually had, I think, one of the rounds of the tournament. He shot a 69, I think, yeah. in the second day. In the second which round. Was which was pretty tough conditions. It was the toughest was of the one, days. It was so impressive. One of the rounds of the tournament across all of the I think, fields. I think that's with what, what Hammer mentions about the storytelling and the broadcast is there's so many interesting stories within the all-ability fields. Um, and they're not without humour, necessarily, either. Is absolutely the other not. Some fun they're, stuff. They're a story that we won't tell the full detail of, but 
Mike Clayton <laughs> at there. lunch with, uh, I'm trying to remember, Shane Luke? Shane Luke, I think. Shane Luke is, you know, Shane held his own at lunch yes. with Clayton, which is not an easy thing to do necessarily and was fantastic company and a great story as well. There's all these people that there might be the Juan Postigos where it's this unbelievable ability to hit a golf ball that fascinates you from one leg or it might just be a background story or you know they just it's you know Vic Open this week Kip Poppet who won the Australian All Abilities Championship is playing in the men's Vic Open field right okay played the Aussie Amateur a couple of weeks ago he's world number one I think isn't he yeah is he's, I think that's right yep. yeah and he, yeah. Yeah. he's doing all that having just gone over to Singapore to play the DP World Tour's G4D Tour. There's a Singapore Classic that's played, I think, Tuesday, Wednesday or Monday, Tuesday. So he's ducked over there to play a little two-round event to then come back down to play the Vic Open. If you go watch Kip play golf, you will walk away seriously impressed. Mm -hmm. Like it is – there is stories everywhere and that storytelling is how I I think you get it further into the consciousness of casual golf watchers who turn on, have no idea what's going on. And Look, really help sell golf to people who aren't necessarily... I was going to say, and more broadly outside the game. Absolutely. This is an element of the game that just isn't sort of sold enough. I remember you would know Jeff Nicholas pretty well, I'd imagine, Christian. And Jeff tells a great story. Jeff has been a golf pro for a long time. And he's, I think he's right leg below the knee amputee, yes. perhaps. I yep. think he was a thalidomide baby, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, that's right. Yep. At British Open qualifying, or the Open qualifying, many, many, many years ago. It might have been back in the 90s. He was trying to qualify for the Open. And on the range, something happened to his prosthetic ankle. The screw came loose or something. So he walked into the pro shop and he said to the kid behind the counter, have you got an Allen key? This size, the kid said, I think so. He goes out the back to have a look. When he comes back, Nicholas has got his foot on the counter, (laughs) ready to tighten up the fold. He said he'd never seen a kid's face go so white so quickly. He just couldn't process what was going on here. The kid obviously thought he was going to adjust something on his golf bag. No, he had his foot up on the counter to adjust the ankle. So not without him. I also remember at the lake several years ago, this would have been before your time, Jeff Nicholas actually organised it, I think. There was like a, a World Disabled Golf Championship and they used to come from all over the world and they played at the lakes one year and one of the guys there was missing an arm, if I think, from memory. And I sort of asked him, as you do now, what happened? And uh, he said, oh, I got electric here. I said, how did you lose an arm? He said, I wasn't that. He said, on the way to the hospital in the ambulance, we had an accident. (laughs) (laughs) And I lost my arm. So there you go. (laughs) Which he thought was quite amusing in a way. I'm sure he would have preferred not to lose the arm, but it it was a hell of a story. What's the future hold, Christian? I mean, we discussed this on the thing about golf. I mean, this is not kind of a job for you. This is almost a calling. If you'd listen to the way this unfolded for you, this is not something you decided years ago you wanted to do. You've just sort of been dragged along with this. And because there were no leaders in this space, you've become a leader and surprise, surprise, you're very good at it. What's the future hold and what do you want to see? The passion that you bring and the drive that you bring to this needs to be picked up by others, doesn't it? Are we safe? Or in 10 years' time or 20 years' time, have we not advanced or even gone backwards perhaps? Yeah, I, th- I think there's um, there's some enormous opportunities still to uncover. I think forgetting the event space for two seconds, but um, one of the one of the other well, one of the other things, the Commonwealth Games in 2026, um, the, the we're looking at a potentially a para um, a para version or a, or an integrated version for the for the Com Games. So we should find out in March whether that happens or not, which provides us a great opportunity to help. Um, advance all these other Commonwealth countries in this in this space. Um, so I think, yeah, positive announcement there will help um, develop the game in a lot of our smaller Commonwealth countries. Um, 
Yeah, as far as the future, I think the RNA bringing the modified rules for players with disabilities into the rules of golf um, has been a, a really important step. And for two reasons, not only does it start to normalise the thinking for national federations to um, around disability inclusion and, and, and it's part of core business, it's not something that sits outside that, you know, they can ignore anymore, um, but it also gives us the opportunity to truly find out who is actually out there that with disability that plays our game. So, um, you know, having the opportunity to, you know, for, for people out in club land to actually apply for a pass or an exemption to use Rule 25 will actually start to better understand um, how many players we actually have out there that play our sport. And I think that'll help shift the mindset if it needs shifting with some of the other, you know, the, the big hitters around sort of global golf to understand that, yeah, if we're, you know, I, I would actually put it out there that we're one of the biggest, if not the biggest participation sport of people with disability in the world. We just don't know it because we just don't have the data to yeah, support it. Come at us other sports. I'd, I'd back you on that. I'd happily stand here and make that claim. And if somebody can disprove it, then great. But I don't think yeah. you're wrong. Only stretch. The figure that I yeah, find th- staggering is there's something like almost 20% of the population have a disability. Yeah. Really? Just of the general population. Really? Yeah. That's that right, right, isn't it, Hamilton? That's right, yeah. Wow. So when, some form of um, so you can yeah, do, whether you it's can do the physical, math of that. physical, sensory, intellectual disability, it's it's one in yeah one in five, and and right. that's twenty percent. <laughs> and as James Gribble says, <laughs> at some point, if you you know, if yeah. you live long enough, You're gonna, you'll have a disability. That's ex- yeah, that's exactly. <laughs> it was quite a confronting thing when he said, yeah. that. and I of course have immediately put it out of my mind because it's uncomfortable to think about, which is one of the one yeah. of the problems that we as humans have. I'll, uh, part, part of James James's charm is that he likes to make people feel yeah. uncomfortable. <laughs> That's right. I'll put a link in the show notes, Hamo, to uh, the the place on golf.org.au where people, Australian golfers, can go for information about Rule 25 and how they apply for Rule 25. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a really easy process. We've, we've got uh, – yeah. So what we're saying to clubs and facilities and, and, and participants out there with disability that if they want to – get approval for Rule 25. And we think it's a, it's the right thing to do because if you look at it through the experience of someone with disability, if they have to keep turning up to different clubs and facilities and say, hey, I'm eligible to use Rule 25 because I'm vision impaired or I have an intellectual disability or whatever it might be, um, we, we want to take the need for that away from the, from the participant but also from the administrator, the competition administrator at the golf club we don't want them to be making decisions based on, you know, what they think, you know, is this person eligible to use that rule, et cetera. So um, we've got a, a great piece of functionality where um, players can just apply for a pass. It's a very easy process just to upload some evidence um, around the four impairment categories. So intellectual disability, uh, there's modified rules for seated players, um, vision impaired or amputees. Um, so if someone sort of fits into that category that wants to get that rule 20, 25 um, approval, um, and that'll flow down to their GA app. So it'll actually have a little banner inside the GA app that says um, that they're approved for, you know, whether it's rule 25.2, whatever oh, it might be. Good idea. Um, yeah, and it takes who, away who things did that? like... That's, that's- Pretty Sorry, what's a, that's pretty amazing. Who would integrate who, that into it? I know you're well, a genius. Luke, you yeah. are a genius, Luke. I cannot. <laughs> and he talks a different language too. We get on some of these calls <laughs> when we're talking about 
Um, Finally, Camo has a fault. He thinks Logue's a genius. (laughs) Finally made a mistake. Coding and strings and, you know, APIs and all this sort of stuff. You know he's making all of it up, don't you? He's making all of it up. He does a a good job of it. I'll give him that. I I will. uh, Camo, can I ask, I think like everything in golf, we can get very focused on the elite level of it. Is is there a big push in that in GA and the PGA's Australian golf strategy with this golf? All golf is golf. Is there a big push on that on the all ability side? I know when I used to work at in retail and running a driving range and mini golf, there was a huge amount of uh, people with all sorts of different disabilities that came and used a facility who would never go near a golf course. Now I understand your area is probably more in in the competition sort of level, but. Is that a big push in that all golf is golf part of the Australian golf strategy? I I would actually say I I think that grassroots entry-level stuff is probably more of our focus than than the events. It's just you probably don't see it because it's not the shiny side of our sport. But um, through – data is really important. If we've got people coming into our sport, we need to know who they are and – um, my golf in particular and getting to golf our two national sort of participation programs for kids and for adults um, through the registration process we actually ask that question whether someone has a disability and and the, the sort of consumer behavior that we see in people entering the game suggests that people with disabilities are looking for mainstream offerings you know there's no reason why if someone has a you know is a leg amputee or someone's vision impaired, they don't necessarily need to go into an all abilities, you know, segregated sort of clinic offering. Um, and, and we sort of see roughly about 75% of participants with disability just coming through the gate of mainstream programs. So, but the good thing with my golf and getting to golf is that, um, clubs can through the registration process, they, they retain all that participant data, but we can also, um, see who's coming through as well. So for instance, um, you know, I talk about, um, the need to address the the shortage of women participating in the all ability space. We've had over two hundred women in the past eighteen months um, sign up and and have some sort of come and trial clinic experience with getting to golf. Now, a, a small percentage of that is through all abilities specific clinics, but the vast majority of those women with disability are coming through just general women's beginner clinics. So, but that enables us to then start a conversation with those women to say, you know, hey, we've got some other pathways outside of just club participation that you can get involved in. So it's those national programs are really important if we're going to maintain and keep a conversation going with people with disability that have an experience in the game. Fantastic. Last thing I wanted to ask you about, uh, Emma, and I think this one's probably somewhat contentious. It's important back at the elite level that the classifications and the you know that there's an integrity to the system that people in the field are genuine genuinely have a disability of some sort. Intellectual disability is a particularly difficult one for us humans because if we can't see it, then it can't be real. If someone isn't missing a leg, how can they have a disability? How is that dealt with, and what are some of the issues around that? Because I imagine it's one of the things that the Paralympics would insist on that those. Uh, measures and those tests must have integrity for the sake yep. of the competition. It's probably the area that's had the most amount of focus over the last four years, in particular, uh, with the IPC with the with, uh, with the application. But we have a central eligibility team that are based in the UK. Um, but but essentially, there's this global platform now, digital platform. It used to be all just paper trail email, and you know it was terrible, really clunky a few years ago. But now. 
We have this digital portal that we send every player around the world into. So again, that's administered by the Europe, formerly European Disabled Golf Association, EDGAR. Um, but with then we have all these national eligibility assessors now planted around the world. And, and we're, that's probably one of the first things that we touch on. If there's a country that wants to get involved, um, we work on training and eligibility assessor because we, you're right. We have to keep the integrity of that minimum eligibility standard into, um, events globally. So essentially, if a pass comes through that portal, it goes out to, in Australia, as an example, um, Sam Taylor, who's our uh, national eligibility assessor based in Brisbane, he'll get that documentation. He'll make an assessment based on whatever reports he has in front of him. Um, now, that might be pretty clear cut that someone is eligible and he will grant them with a pass for the for the ranking. Um, but otherwise, if it's a bit line ball, um, he might request a review. So as an example, Sam is coming down to the Vic Open this week to do a do a whole heap of uh, assessments on players that have um, a review pass. So, um, but that's that's really, really important. It's, and it's something that you've got to have um, pretty strong uh, protocols around. Um, the research piece around the eligibility categories is really important as well. So there's a, um, organization in Chicago called the Shirley Ryan Ability Lab that does all the evidence-based research around our impairment categories. So looking at, you know, things like, um, you know, if you take sort of vision impairment as an example, what level of vision impairment does someone need to have? To become eligible for the for the ranking so you need to understand you know what we call central acuity versus field vision impairments are you doing um, a lot what impact are you throwing words at us that we don't understand just so it sounds like you know what you're talking about <laughs> maybe maybe but it's a it's a very yeah it's it's a very in-depth very in-depth process um but a lot of work's gone into it but uh but yeah you, you've got to have the right um yeah, the right sort of safety nets in place and, and things like that. And and also the, the right appeals processes. So if someone is rejected for a pass, you know, um, as an example, if someone wants to um, appeal that, it goes to a different eligibility assessor in another country to to get to get reviewed. They may need to be reviewed as well, even after they've passed, correct? 100%. Like yeah, can, so there might be a future well. review date as well, like five years or three years or two years or whatever down the track. Yeah. It's all very dry stuff, but it's important, isn't it, Hannah? And these are the things that you do behind the scenes that people don't see. I mean, there's the glamorous side, obviously, appearing on podcasts and doing that sort of thing. And there's the, there's the, <laughs> yeah, there's the hard yakka, which is the day in, day out. It's not as exciting as it sounds. <laughs> it's, it's probably, um, yeah, it's pretty dry to a lot of people, but it's probably the area that excites yeah. me, all the research and that sort of component. But um, that's probably why I do what I do and um, everyone else does what they do and yeah, so uh, no, it's 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 uh, it's it's great to see. Yeah, it's great to see it progressing, going the right way for sure. Well, much of that down to you, Hamo. We must say it's been fantastic of you to take some time. We've really enjoyed chatting to you. I always enjoy chatting to you. But uh, you feel like the All Abilities Golf is in good hands when it's with Hamo, and uh, that's been reaffirmed today. But thanks for taking some time, mate. Really appreciate it. No, thanks, guys, and uh, enjoy the chat. Thanks very much. Well, you say that, but I wonder sometimes he's going to get off, <laughs> going to get off here and talk to his wife. Logue, been good to have you along. Glad you didn't use any of those. What did you say? APIs, strings, and other stuff. Don't want to hear any of that from you. Sure. Thanks, Rod. Thank you. Good to have you along, Jimmy. Always good to get your contributions, mate, and have you along. Thank you, everyone. I look forward to Logue doing a uh, deep dive on the fonts of the new Live Golf teams God. that have just come oh. out. Gimme, gimme! Oh, well, the Australian teams now called the Australian teams now called Ripper, Ripper, Ripper GC. Oh, it's horrific! It ain't good. Love it. it love it. Horrific. It's awful. 
<laughs> so your your was it Punch GC merchandise values gone through the oh, roof? Oh yeah, yeah. If, you, so, if you were edition. smart enough to get yeah. in early in yeah. thirty years, that's going to oh, really always be always buy always buy in early, big time. It's basically like crypto. It's going through the roof. That's all other episodes. <laughs> that's episode one hundred and thirty-three, done and dusted here on the Good Good Golf Podcast.